The Lord is risen. You know, that fact changes everything. And it can change everything about us. When people are comfortable, though, they don't like change. And we are a comfortable people. Oh, sure, there are things we'd like to change, but in the main, if we're truthful, we're comfortable with our sin. If you take a few moments to think about it, you'll realize that the things that you'd like to change, you and I like to change, are things that would make our lives easier, better, more comfortable, more pleasant, more conformed to my will. And sometimes, you know, we we hide that under language of principle. But everything is open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And the more time that we spend in his presence, bearing our hearts, not for his benefit, but for ours, the more we recognize our true selves and our true motivations. The Lord is risen. And that fact changes everything. I'm going to read today from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, 
He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to all these things. Father, today, as we read these words, perhaps there are some here today who don't believe because the words seem like nonsense. Well, they're in good company. That's what Peter first thought. Father, there were some that later couldn't believe because of joy and amazement. How could this be? But Lord Jesus, you are risen. And you have called the people to be your witnesses. And Father, by that resurrection, change us so that we may be that and may be all that you've created us to be. And we'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything, and it changes everything quite apart from us. The resurrection is presented to us in the Bible, not as a story to inspire us, but as a fact quite apart from anything that we might do with it. It's true that the Apostle Paul uh, appeals to the resurrection of Jesus, to call on believers in Christ to walk in new life. We read about that this morning from Romans chapter 6. But it's a, a misunderstanding to think that Paul sees the resurrection as a mere story to inspire us to live better lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. We've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. See, the problem that some of the Corinthians were having is that they were spiritualizing the idea of the resurrection of the dead at the end of the age. What they were saying in uh, good platonic form is that, well, that resurrection refers to people going to heaven and, you know, spiritually leaving their bodies. That's what it's talking about. And Paul's counter is that Christ 
is the start of the resurrection. Our resurrection is bound up inextricably to his. If he has been raised, we must be raised. If we are not really raised, then Christ was not really raised. And Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's useless, you're still in your sin. I want to tell you that it's sometimes suggested that the disciples made up the resurrection of Jesus. And I only have time to, to touch on that a little bit this morning because there are other things I'd like to look at with you. But, but there's reasons why that explanation really doesn't make a lot of sense. If, if Jesus was not raised why was the tomb empty because they stole his body and hid it but there were armed guards placed at the tomb for that very reason because the pharisees were concerned that somebody might come and steal the body so you have these these soldiers armed expecting that something like that might happen And we're supposed to believe that they were overcome by a group of Galilean fishermen who hours before had scattered in every direction, running away from each other, hiding themselves because they were frightened out of their minds? Or are we supposed to believe that the the body of Jesus was stolen, but it was never found? And none of the disciples ever came clean about that story that they fabricated, even though 10 of them lost their lives to maintain testimony to it. I'll tell you that people might make up all kinds of stories, but somebody puts a gun to your head and says, come clean, I don't know very many people who would be willing to die for a lie. It it stretches credulity that 10 of them would do it. The disciples didn't expect the resurrection. And they didn't believe it. We're told that when the women went back and, and, and told what they had heard and told what they were told, that they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It just can't be. It's important to understand, though, that in Jesus' resurrection, uh, he didn't, just come back, as it were, like, like Lazarus was brought back or the son of the widow at Nain came back only at some point later to die again. Jesus' resurrection is the start of the new creation that was promised through the prophet Isaiah. And he now has, we're told in the book of Hebrews, indestructible life. He is, as Paul says in Romans 6, never to die again. So that Christ, the God-man, is the firstborn from among the dead. And because he is, uh, he is in that same passage in Colossians 1, the firstborn of all creation. Not the old creation, the new creation. He's the firstborn of the new creation. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. The old creation is past its expiration date. It was never meant to last forever. It was always meant to be replaced by a new creation. Because of Adam's sin, that new creation was never attained. 
And so we've lived in this old creation, past its expiration date, and into which the corruption of sin has come. And the Son of God came into this world. The Bible speaks of him taking on flesh, not not merely skin, not merely a body, but becoming a very part of this creation so that when he was crucified, judgment was passed on this creation. We'll read about that in the coming days in John chapter 16. And and with the death of Christ uh, in the flesh, this creation has started its long, inexorable march to death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.31 that the form of this world is passing away. That, that, That euphemism, that phrase, pass away, means the same thing it does when we say it. It means it's dying. And if this creation, this world, this time, this place is where your life is focused, is where your hope is focused, if it's the place where you're comfortable, the place that you can't imagine ever wanting to leave, uh, that your hope is that you can simply improve it and just make it a little bit better, I want to tell you that you're going to die too. And there's absolutely no hope for you. The death of Christ changed everything. And the resurrection of Christ changes everything. And it changes it quite apart from what you or I do about it. But the resurrection can also change everything about us. You know, the Bible is clear that we're justified by faith in Christ. You you really find that throughout the Bible, that concept. But if you want to read it concentrated, read the book of Romans or read the book of Galatians. And there it's concentrated that we're justified by faith in Christ. And that word justified means to be vindicated. It means that God has no charge to bring against us. So faith, we're told, is how we're justified, but it's, but it's not the ground, it's not the basis of our justification. We're not justified because of our faith. Well, if God doesn't justify us on the grounds of our faith, what are the grounds of our justification? Well, the Bible tells us that the grounds of our justification is Christ's resurrection. Paul says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, that he was delivered over to death for our sins. That is, in his death, our sins were condemned and judged. But he was raised for our justification. The grounds of our justification is the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, today, in our confession of faith, Uh, we recited together the mystery of godliness from 1 Timothy 3.16. We're told there that he appeared in the flesh. Again, not merely that he had a body. That's not merely what that means, but that he partook of the weakness of this creation. And, And then our translations say he was vindicated in the spirit. But do you know that word vindicated 
in the Greek New Testament is exactly the same word as justified. He was justified in the Spirit speaking of his resurrection. The ground of our justification is Christ's vindication, Christ's justification, Christ's resurrection. And to say that he was, that he was vindicated in the Spirit, uh, let me say here again, doesn't mean that he became an apparition or a ghost. In fact, that's what Jesus makes very clear to his disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and they said, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost, thinking they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. See, that word flesh in the New Testament characterizes the weakness of this creation. The word spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, isn't, isn't some, 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 some gossamer or airy reality. It's a quite solid reality. In fact, a reality of indestructible life. In fact, a reality that cannot die. Christ was justified, vindicated in his resurrection. And on the grounds of his resurrection, we are justified, vindicated before God, made acceptable to him. If you want to be justified before God, there's only one way for that to happen. By God's grace, through the means of faith in Jesus Christ, on the grounds of Christ's resurrection. He was raised for our justification. And so the resurrection of Jesus can change everything about us and not merely our status before God. You know, justification really has to do with a status, a standing. But that resurrection uh, really and truly, not merely inspirationally or symbolically, is the source of power to live a new life. Do you understand that? It's important that you do. It's, it's not merely a power to do better with your old life. It's, it's certainly not an inspirational story so that we can save ourselves or others by a this age goodness and a moral improvement. It's a power that comes from quite outside of ourselves and is given to us as a gift. The resurrection doesn't merely change our status before God in justifying us, but it changes us. Listen to what Paul says. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And, 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 you know, we, we so easily externalize sin. We think that sin is just doing bad things. But, friends, sin is living your life independently of God. It's going your own way. 
And sometimes that can lead people to do some very bad things. Or sometimes you look at people like the Pharisees and it can lead them to do things that we would formally say, well, those are very good things. But they're independent of God. That, that's the way of the world that Paul is speaking of. He says all of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Bad things, maybe, sometimes, or things that are just independent of God. I can do it on my own. And he says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Do you hear the resurrection language there? It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And Paul says that just as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We may walk in new life. So the question for you this Easter Sunday is, has the resurrection of Jesus changed you? Has it changed you? The Bible, let me say this again so that it's absolutely clear. The Bible speaks about sin. Please don't think that just means doing some bad acts. It's too bad that I sin. I just need to start doing some good things. And if we do that, then everything will be okay. The only thing that's needed is some moral reform. Let me say it again. The condition of sin can lead to people doing bad things, some very, very bad things, or it can lead to doing things that other people would look at and say, that's very good. Sin, at its core, is living independently of God, of going your own way, doing your own thing, even thinking, I'll do my own good thing for the benefit of people, of seeing no need for the life of God, of thinking that you can do it on your own. It just takes a little moral reform. And that's why Paul tells us that by the works of the law, will no one be justified. Do you understand what he's saying? We, we focus so often on the fact that well, what Paul's saying is that we can't be justified by the law because we can't do it perfectly. Let me tell you, if you could do it perfectly, you still wouldn't be justified. By the works of the law will no one be justified. We don't need a little bit of moral reform. The problem isn't this behavior or that behavior, not at the core. The problem is our separation, our rebellion, our independence from God. And Christ came to reconcile us to God, to restore us to God and to give us new life. He's the start of the new creation. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17? He says, if any one of you is in Christ, you know what you are? A new creation. You're a part of that new creation. Not by your efforts of self-reform. New life is not found in the slogan, try harder, do better. New life is found only in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through faith in him. 
It's found in confessing your sins. What, you mean your bad acts? Maybe. But your attempts at doing life on your own, of living life without God, of saying, I can figure this out, I can do it on my own. And it's found in faith, in trusting in Christ who died for you and who rose again for you. And it's found in walking in new life and the power of his resurrection, the power to overcome sin, the power to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In in the death of Christ, oh, the world was so blind to it, but in the death of Christ, God judged the world. And the countdown to its expiration has begun. The world is passing away, but the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Has it changed you? Father, grant us your grace today to believe and by believing, Lord, to be changed. Not by the, not by the power of our faith. Our faith is just a means. No, by the power of your mighty working that you exhibited and exerted when you raised Christ from the dead. Help us, help us, Father, we pray to know you through him, to be reconciled to you, to live lives of dependence upon you, to know, as Paul said, that there's nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. But Father, through the resurrection life of Jesus, give to us the life of God that we may walk in newness of life, in reconciliation and in harmony with you. And Father, we'll give you the glory as we grow in that because it's what you've created us for. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Mm -hmm.